Hi there, and welcome to the Blokebusters podcast with just me, it's Paul, and I've decided that since Brian couldn't be here, I would bring a guest with me, and that guest is someone that I grew up with back in England, and his name is Mark. Mark, are you there? Hiya! Hey, Mark. Uh, Hiya! Now, now, this is Mark, not spelt with a K, this is Mark spelt with a C. Thank you for remembering. Yes, and I actually... I've never asked you this question. Is that your real legal birth name, or have you adopted that? Because it seemed that I didn't see your name written down at all, and then all of a sudden it's, you know, Mark this, and it's, oh, it's a C. It's not a K. (laughs) It's always been a C. I I actually had this discussion with my friends the other day. It's it's on my driver's license, on my birth license. It's it's all there, and genuinely a C. All right, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd never have thought to ask you that, and now that I have it right in front of me, I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask him now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, some of you will probably be thinking, well, why does he just have a random friend from back home on the podcast? And that's because this guy actually has not only just been to Cannes Film Festival, but mm-hmm. he's worked on films that have been to Cannes Film Festival, and he's currently doing a couple of things in film now he's done several things in film before and so I brought him on to try and figure out how the hell he got into film in the first place when two film study (laughs) students couldn't manage it and this guy went straight out of compulsory education into photography and then filmed beyond like Mark how would you how how did you manage that um I, I I don't know a lot of it, honestly, kind of came down to luck and happenstance. Yes, uh, as you just said, um, <laughs> I, I kind of came straight out of school and um, landed ordinary work. I bought a camera and I started yeah. taking pictures. That's kind of what I did. I have been t- doing photography on all sorts of subjects, like bands and journalism and all that kind of stuff. been doing that for about, must have been three or four years before I even considered working in film. Right. Um, it really wasn't part of my plan, um, and it kind of all started one day uh, when the when I bumped across someone known as Becky Preston, who was a good friend of mine, um, right. who was a friend of a friend of my girlfriend. Blah 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 blah. It was, it was a really tenuous connection. It really, yeah. magically, it happened at all. She was filming um, something as a favor for my uh, then girlfriend's um, university project, and I had my camera with me. You know, because that's what I did. We yeah. were shooting some some stuff in London, and so so I was there. And and Becky just said to me, "Oh, we're uh, oh, I'm, I'm preparing to to film this short film next week. I, I'm run off my feet." And I said, "Oh, do you need a photographer?" And and she said, "Yes, yes, I do. Come along." <laughs> and so I worked on my first short film for a week, which was a really really uh, a hard film to work on. I I worked a thirty odd hour shift. Oh, nice. um, for that film, so it was, it was a proper trial by fire. Um, I probably got about ten or twelve hours sleep for an entire week. Oh, um, okay. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, but but it was amazing. Um, I, I witnessed and, and and worked on things which I never thought would ever have happened, and I kind of, despite brutality of the work, <laughs> um, kind of thought, wow, I kind of need to do this again. And and from there, I I really just. Uh, made every opportunity which was given to me uh, uh, to the best of her opportunity uh, I kind of carried on talking to Becky you know we became very good friends and roommates uh, years later after that 
Um, and and uh, Becky brought me on to extra projects, including her first feature film, which was shot in 2008. I think it was. It was quite a while back now. Huh. Uh, yeah. And uh, but, but aside from that, you know, once I kind of caught the bug, I, I obviously um, went well out of my way to work on uh, other films. You know, I did a lot of free jobs on, on, on kind of little short films of varying quality. Um, and... Uh, through that, I managed to make my portfolio and, and you know, more film, more people were attracted to what I was doing. And, yeah, just, just through that kind of osmosis of being on film sets, I learned more about it and, you know, made the connections you need to kind of keep sticking to the job. I have to say, coming out of university myself, doing having done a film studies degree, not necessarily doing the best in it, but I still did a film studies degree. And I came mm. out and started looking for any form of even television or film work experience and mm. the most i was ever able to get which was the only thing i was ever able to get was working for two weeks in london one of them was working directly with shed Productions, which did i think waterloo road the show mm-hmm. but, so i was working in the actual building that was making all the decisions around that i didn't get to mm-hmm. be involved in any of said decision but i was there cool. and then yeah. i went to 2020 which is where they do editing on a whole bunch of shows they actually did a show in england called brat camp which was great i actually managed to get the entire catalogue of brat camp from them when i left <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> and that was it like, there was no nothing out there and i I was really realizing that all of it was down to the fact that I didn't know anyone close enough to said film to even be able to gain access to a set short of, oh, I know they're filming a film here. Maybe I can go and somehow weasel my way onto the set, which would never actually Mm. happen in a million years. So, yeah, it does seem that you made a connection very, very randomly, as you said, and then you just harvested that. There, it was a very serendipitous connection, which certainly made life a lot easier. And I think also it was made easier for me in particular was that I already had several years of photography experience behind me and I knew I could I, I could do a job. You know, I had, I had a reason to be on set as opposed to starting at the bottom of the ladder where, you know, you can say to a production company, hi, I would love to be a runner for you. Um, which is, a, you know, is a good way to get into things. But, you know, obviously it's it's highly competitive, whereas I had the ability and experience to go to other production companies and, and say, I can take fantastic and high quality photos of your actors. I can generate value for your film as opposed to I can make the production of your film slightly easier. Yeah. Um, so I had that to it, but, but certainly a lot of it did come down to luck and, and having various connections and also just a lot of time. Um, it's not like uh i i spend every waking moment on film sets you know i have to do other jobs as well um yeah. it's very difficult certainly for anyone who you know i i'm not the best connected person in the world so you know there are obviously <laughs> other people who, who are more lucky than me but uh yeah i think i've had an easier ride than, than a lot of other people um but i think a lot of it also comes down to the fact that people really like the quality of my work and a lot of it comes down to just being really friendly on set and, and helping people as, as much as you can without treading on any union's toes. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of hard work, a lot of luck and a lot of persistence. 
point on this, Luke. Yeah, and well, I can attest to the quality of your work, given that I've seen some of the stuff that you've been doing, even just hanging out with us and taking pictures. And it's, mm. it was to me astonishing some of the stuff you could do with a camera, even. <laughs> And not not just the incredibly expensive camera that you had at the time, which, given the time that you got it, a one and a half thousand pound camera thing mm. for all of us at college and university, it's like how the hell did he get that money? How did he get the money to buy this incredibly expensive camera? And <laughs> you know, of course, now that we're working, it's like okay, if you're going to move into that field, that's mm. that's the type of expensive thing you're going to have to buy. But for you, it was yes. just I love photography. And now I have yeah. this expensive camera which does all of these things that means I can really experiment with it. Mm. Although mm. I still don't, I still have that camera that you took from me at a party and you mm-hmm. managed to make it, make those streaks in the air where, you know, it was, you just moved it and it made those light streaks. Mm-hmm. And you told mm-hmm. me that you changed the shutter speed. And yes. I, I looked at the settings on that camera, and nowhere in those settings does it give me an option to change the shutter speed. So somehow you managed to do something with my camera that <laughs> I cannot do. So um, it's, it's, it's all just learning how to how to manipulate the tool. Even, even the most basic of cameras, you you can certainly trick uh, the exposure AI into doing things which it wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, and that was something I learned. My first camera was a really cheap little Olympus point-and-shoot thing. Right. And I, and I kind of stuck with that for a year. And I, I kind of, before I ever bought any of my more expensive cameras, I, I played with that a lot and learned its limitations and under, started to understand what it was it was doing. Uh, a kind of good example of that was uh, I, I noticed, before I ever read any of the theory behind photography, I realized that people wearing dark clothes normally their, their faces would turn out brighter than they should do. And I thought, why would that be the case? And, oh, the camera's trying to counter the black T-shirt. It's, it's, it's kind of making itself wonky. And, and kind of through that, I kind of taught myself uh, the fundamentals of exposure and how it's metered and all that kind of stuff. So that by the time I was willing to drop down the cash for, for you know, a, a proper DSLR, I already knew the fundamentals of how to exploit that. So I, I kind of even though it was quite a big jump for me financially at the time, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. So yeah, it was, it's, yeah, you can, you can do anything for even a very cheap camera. You, you can manipulate it to do what you need it to do. Given how much you know about cameras, obviously you're in the photography side of it, but would you ever consider maybe trying to turn into sort of a cameraman type hmm. deal on the film set? Like, have you even, had you asked any of the cameramen if you could, have a go or anything like that <laughs> um that is a question which depending on my depending on how much of a good mood i'm in um <laughs> I, I will occasionally ask myself that question i have worked with some phenomenal cinematographers in my time some really genuinely talented and experienced cinematographers who have been working for twice as long as i've been alive and I have an awful lot of respect for cinematographers and the work that they do. Uh, so much so that I am very wary of pretending to think that I can do their job. <laughs> um, I have fiddled uh, uh, with cinematography. I, I've done a limited amount of operating red cameras, and I understand the fundamentals of cinematography work. I, I've, I've, you know, picked up the slack when when photography is less important, and the camera department does actually need someone competent to give them a hand. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, osmosis going on there. You, you learn a lot about other people's trade. 
I know more about makeup than I ever did six years ago, I can tell you that. <laughs> but uh, while I have fiddled with video work, it's only very much on a, a kind of favour basis. I would never, um, certainly on a film set, on, on, on a proper production, as a photographer, you do not go up to the uh, DP, the uh, director of photography, and say, oh, can I, do you mind if I push the red button? Would that be okay? Um, but there's there's too much of a hierarchy for me to ever dream of doing something like that. And, and it's there for good reasons, because it's very, very easy to ruin a lot of money if someone who doesn't know what they're doing starts playing with the camera. So while I've learnt a lot, and I would definitely say that uh, cinematographers have a heavy influence on my work, um, I would say that my photography, when it's not strictly of a traditional portrait basis, is, is very, very cinematic. And I respect cinematographers more than most other photographers. I personally don't see myself getting into cinematography purely because that would be uh, a, a many years worth of education that I would need to catch up on, which right. for me is, is dragging me down a path which I currently don't have much desire to do. Fair enough. It is odd that even just before that conversation, I, I didn't really think about how knowing cameras and being able to take the pictures mm. wouldn't equate into being able to at least use the film cameras to a degree as to not take a shit shot. And it's this way to tell you, it's not so much about the frame. Framing a shot is fine. That's that's okay. Uh, and, you know, obviously getting the exposure is fine, but that's only really the beginning of the job. In in my time of messing around with video cameras and, and you know, playing with, with uh, the Red, uh, I think we, Red Epic we used, one of the things which I personally struggle with as a photographer is that in my typical job, my what I do is, is reduce motion as much as humanly possible. I, I don't move my camera when I'm taking a picture unless it's for a very specific effect. Yeah. Whereas cinematographers have to embrace movement. You know, there's, you've got your panning, you've got using your dollies, you know, you've got steady cams. Uh, I lack the experience personally to understand how the movement of the frame and the camera uh, will come out in the edit. Right. How it is read by the viewer. There's a real disconnect between how fast it feels like you're physically moving the camera and how it's actually going to appear on screen. And that is something which I acknowledge I, I don't have the experience to do personally, which is why I hire other people to do that if I'm on a production team. You know, I'm not going to do that myself. And, uh, you know, there, there are far more you have to be qualified at than, than I do as I am as a stills photographer. You know, uh, while I do know my lighting, cinematographers, the ones I've been working with, can light an environment and make it look absolutely incredible. Uh, and they've got years of education and, and, you know, kind of theoretical training to back that up. Yeah. And and then there's the discussion of uh, uh, of how, once again, how things will look in the edit. You know, the DPs are constantly discussing with directors how something should be shot, even if everything is storyboarded. Occasionally, they'll want to change something and they're capable of making those decisions on the fly. Whereas I certainly would lack uh, the personal authority to make such a judgment. Right, yeah. As you said, uh, given the lack of decades of experience working exactly in that field, yeah, you wouldn't want to go off of storyboard even if you personally thought you might be able to get a slightly better shot somewhere else. You wouldn't want to mm. second-guess yourself at this point. So, yeah, I, I can see that mm. given some of the stuff you're working on, you'd rather let the 
people who know exactly what they're doing get on with their work while you Absolutely. admire from afar. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's, it's not to say that I don't help the camera department. You know, there have been situations on certainly on slightly lower budget films where I can provide assistance, you know, both being camera departments, we understand the fundamentals of each other's jobs, we can trade equipment, that's not unusual. Um, you know, I, I carry my light meter with me, which sometimes a cinematographer might want to use if their one is broken, and all other kind of things like that, you know, I, I'm normally quite good friends with the DP teams, but uh, uh, yeah, like I said, the, the, st- the structure uh, of a production company, or, or, or sorry, should I say, a film crew, is, is, is purposefully hierarchical because people are good at what they're doing. Yeah. You know, when I look at a DP, I, I, I want to see the guy who thinks, quite rightly, his job is one of the most important on set, you know, and that he should be there, he deserves to be there, and, and is capable of, of standing his ground should, you know, a, a discussion uh, need to be taken place. Same thing goes for the sound guys. I, I can never do a sound job, even though, you know, once again, through osmosis, I know the fundamentals of what they're doing. It's just a case of you want the best people possible to be working on each particular team. And I am not the best person to be working as a cinematographer as, as much as I would, you know, like that to be the case. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that I figured there would be a certain amount of not cross-training, but gaining access to being taught just by seeing mm. the different aspects of a film. But, yeah, you, you never really consider, even if you have that, You the person that's doing it was probably doing it since they were 10 years old, going mm. through everything, kind of the way you were with just your camera. You, you were, That Absolutely. was what you were doing. On, on, on a similar note, I wouldn't expect a DP to do my job in quite the same way that I do. I would never doubt the quality of their photography. Uh, you know, the, I'm sure the photos I would come up with would be phenomenal. I've got no reason to doubt that. Um, but the question would be, would the photos they produce, would they understand the language which is needed uh, for a publicity photo? Right. Uh, there's, there's very much a different thing between... A cinematography shot, whatever shot it is going to be, might be fantastic, but it won't necessarily be useful on a website or on a newspaper or an, or an industry article. You know, there are a lot of things to be considered, uh, which uh, a cinematographer might not have thought about. So uh, it's it's very much a case of a lot of people who understand the roles of what everyone is doing and why they're doing it, but the the kind of finesse and the details of what each role is doing can still very much be. Uh, in the murky depths of knowledge, they won't necessarily know that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I look at some of the stuff that you put up before of, you know, this is, oh, this is just a shot from today, here it is, mm-hmm. and anyone else just even playing with a camera, someone that might know how to use their camera quite well, you'll see the shot and they would take a picture of that person and then you might see the camera over here, you know, whatever, and then you look at your shot and it just that single person very much mm-hmm. sort of center of the frame mm-hmm. with a slight filter on it sometimes, which I, I know nothing about filters, so I use no filters. I, I can't <laughs> I can't use those things. And you've always picked the one that will make the photo itself look the best. And yes. you, you're somehow just able to be exactly in the right spot to take the photo, which will be like, you know, okay, the, this is something that this person would probably now use as their like, headshot when trying to be like, this is me in a film. This is, this, and not many people that haven't been, even on, like, even just on film sets or working in photography like that, like, most people wouldn't be able to start 
taking pictures like that and I'm always amazed at what you were able to come up with like that and and then I do think about well he has been doing this for several years now <laughs> <laughs> it would be amazing if he didn't take pictures like that. absolutely yeah it's it's um a lot of it certainly on that side of things comes from experience you know I, I've had the time to experiment throughout all my time on film sets you know when when you're spending five or six weeks on a, on a single project you've got the time to experiment and i've seen it when it goes wrong and i know how to avoid things which are going to be useless so i'm able to prioritize my time and know what positions i don't need to be in and and you know so i i can automatically figure out okay so i need these shots and i know how to prepare for them so i don't waste much of my time trying to go oh i'll, I'll give it a go <laughs> I'll see how it is. The the, the thing about uh, photography is that it's what a lot of inexperienced photographers do is that they think photography is a way of showing that they appreciate something is good. Right. A lot of photography, if, if you look at kind of um, commercial stuff, it's always a facsimile of something which is nice, you know, whether it's like a funny road sign or, or I don't know, a pigeon walking backwards. Um, you know, it's, it's always kind of a case of, I think this thing is cool, so I'm going to take a picture of it. What they don't understand, or, or certainly isn't evident when you're a photographer on a film set, is that you have an almost infinite selection of perspectives available to you at a certain time. It's knowing how to filter out which perspectives are going to be useless and what's going to be useful, which is something which only experience and time can really tell you. Like I said before, I spent three or four years doing photography, uh, doing promotional related stuff, but not necessarily film photography. I spent that time learning how to take portraits of key people who want to sell a product. Right. Um, you know, music artists and all that kind of stuff. And so you learn, I learned from that, okay, so the subject, the person needs to be in the center of a frame. They can't be distracted by anything in background. It needs to be neat. It needs to be visually strong. And I've learned how to push anything which distracts my goal out of the way. You know, I will happily tidy out the background physically. If I need to move something, I will. If I need to tell someone to get out of the way, I'll do it. So there's, there's a lot of prioritizing and learning what's not going to be useful. A lot of inexperienced on-set photographers will spend an awful lot of time photographing minor crew members because they happen to be around. Right. Whereas I understand personally that while they're nice, um, you know, to, to, to give those crew members their photos, they'll never be used for wide-scale publicity. Um, every crew member looks like every other crew member. <laughs> and they're not, they're, unless they're visually identifiable as a particular film, they're not necessarily useful to my job. Yeah. So there's a lot of learning to curtail yourself and pushing away anything which doesn't specifically push forward your goal. Do you ever find yourself taking like the odd picture of the crew just to just so that they don't lose heart that you're completely ignoring them but you know <laughs> i'm never going to use this picture but click here we go moving on to the main thing uh, that's that's one of the more interesting things as a photographer certainly coming from the production side of things when you're talking for producers and stuff they do find those photos useful you know sometimes they'll print out those photos and give them to the crew members and be like hey do you remember this time it's really great and it keeps the motivation up. It makes the crew member feel like they want to be there, yeah. which, which is, for morale purposes, is very important when you're spending days on end outside in the freezing cold and in the rain. You know, you want to make sure everyone's happy doing their job. So that definitely has a place 
that's lower my priority list. If I've got something else to be shooting, if a key actor is doing their only take of a particular scene, which is very visually important, then I will not take pictures of, of a runner picking their nose. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's all about priorities. And there's nearly always going to be something which is really worth photographing. So even taking a photograph only takes a fraction of a second. So if I can flick back and see someone doing something cool, I'll just snap it. Yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not too much of a big deal. But I certainly, these days, don't spend as much time photographing minor crew as I used to. Uh, the director of photography, the, the director, um, you know, the producers, all the important people certainly still get their fair share of camera time because they can be an industry press, and that's quite an important part of the job. Right. But, uh, but you know, gaffers, you know, uh, runners, to a lesser degree, sound guys, I don't tend to take many pictures of those guys. Certainly because if I take too many, then it just takes a lifetime to go through them and filter them <laughs> out when I'm colouring all of the photos later on. Yeah, not not too many key grips in your hard drives there. <laughs> not not a massive. <laughs> well, one of my other questions I had written down really mm-hmm. to kind of get this <laughs> moving on from that. It, have you had any real surprises from starting working in film to where you are now? Like, had you had any moments that just really shocked you, either good or bad? Doesn't matter which one. Um, yes, I, I I definitely have been surprised from time to time, both in, in good and bad ways. Um, I, I think a fantastic example of the first shock I got in the film industry, in, in this first short film which I worked on, on the last day we were supposed to be shooting in an abattoir, and I discovered about four or five days prior to that that a foot and mouth outbreak could happen. Oh. I was reading the newspaper in, in one of the quiet moments we had in the early morning, and uh, I'd noticed that uh, suddenly meat wasn't being moved around the country. So I had to point <laughs> it out to our director and producer, be like, hey, man, we might not have any carcasses in our abattoir later on. <laughs> so that was a shock. It was even more of a shock to discover later on that it actually spawned from around the corner from where we lived. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it came straight from glorious and lovely Surrey. But yeah, that, that was a bit of a shock. And, and you know, there are good surprises too, you know. Getting permission to go to Cannes Film Festival was a huge surprise when it happened because I did it on the off chance just because I thought, well, I, I was given free accommodation by a production company I've recently worked with at the time and they said, Mark, if you can get into Cannes, we'll, we'll pay for your accommodation, it's fine. Huh. And at that point, I'd only done like one feature film and, and probably about a dozen maybe short films. And traditionally, you need three feature films to be accredited into to the festival. So I wasn't expecting to go. Huh. Um, and then, of course, I, I got the email saying, yeah, Mark, it's cool, you can come in. It's all right, no big deal. <laughs> I, I was like, I was ecstatic. I, I was shouting with joy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really, as really anyone would be, I suppose. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Going yeah. to Cannes, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. So so uh, I would say working in film industry is, is a... Fantastic uh, roller coaster of surprises. Uh, there, there are terrible things happening all the time. There are great things happening all the time. Um, so, so there's there's no no shortage of stories and, and surprises. I can tell you that's for sure. Well, um, I'm going to have to see if I can get some of those from you at a later date. <laughs> <laughs> maybe at another time. Yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the only other thing I had written down was just given that someone listening to this could possibly be wanting to get into the industry in some form, like 
what if any tips or suggestions would you give to someone that would want to even you know five years down the line get into the film industry i mean i would say don't do what i do which is go to a film study course at a university expecting that you'll be able to get in based on that because the experience at least based on what i've come across is that experience tends to be the more trusted thing rather than well he knows what film is but it's not like he's ever done anything (laughs) Um, I I would say it is primarily experience and practical knowledge of the job. I mean, obviously, this depends course to course, uh, university to university, country to country. That is, it really does depend. You know, uh, I I would happily hire someone who has recently come out of the uh, National Film and Television School in London. It's a fantastic fantastic place. It's it's a master's level qualification. Ah, I see. And they're very, uh, they pick select people. You need to have a solid body of work before you're even accepted into the school. Um, so people who study there generally happen to, uh, you know, kind of bees knees. They tend to be very good. But outside of that, it depends on what it is you're trying to do. I find a media degree doesn't tend to get you anything better than maybe a production assistant role, which is slightly above a runner role. Right. But uh, because there are just things which happen on set which you need to be aware of, which most universities don't necessarily teach you about. You know, you, uh, a university won't tell you how to handle named actors, you know, or anyone who has a reasonable amount of importance to them. And working with a professional crew is not the same thing as working with your student buddies. It, it simply is not the same kind of thing. Um, so from, a, from a, a producer's perspective, which I have a little bit of experience with, when I look at a CV of someone, if all they have is, is a university degree without much practical experience of putting together a video themselves then i'm not going to give them a producer's job you know they, they need to know what the expectations are but if they wanted to move up then you know depending on their skill set you know for if, if they're wanting to do camera work then obviously do more camera work and and try to contact other uh, cinematographers and dps and, and ask if you can assist them uh, and all that kind of stuff if you want to do production work then absolutely become a runner and help everyone as much as humanly possible with a big smile on your face uh, <laughs> n- never say no to a job don't be moody happily you know help work work and help people out you know collaborate if you want to do my job you want to be a stills photographer work your butt off and and you know take pictures um, learn how to be good at your job and, ha- and get together a solid portfolio. And, and I think that applies to, to most other jobs as well. It's mostly going to be a case of doing a lot of free jobs of a highly varying quality. Everyone has done a nightmare film, and it should never put someone off. If they've worked on a terrible production, it shouldn't be their last one, because the next one will be better. Um, so it is mostly going to be a case of just contacting people, even if it's out of the blue, if, if it's, or, or you know, going to networking events. It's just going to be a case of talking to people and and you know trying to find opportunities and making the most of them when they do appear all right well i don't have anything else written down right now. <laughs> i think we've got out of what i thought of to cover um is is there any final thoughts from you not particularly i mean i can see on your note there it does say i love you mark um which which is very nice you're not supposed um, to say that but... 
but off the top of my head, I, I don't have anything. I, I don't have a soapbox under me at the moment, so I don't have anything to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> next time you feel like getting on a soapbox, let me know, and then maybe I'll record it. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely. Uh, I, I'm definitely busy for the next few weeks, but uh, at some point, if if you and your audience decide that they want to hear me again, I'm more than happy to join you again on on the Skype phone. Well, I I do have to say we we didn't go into it at all, but I do know that you are associated with a project which you can't go into because it's very early on and there's not much that you mm. can really say. But should that really pick up and you're allowed to say more about it, would you mind mm. if I asked you some questions about that? Not at all. That would be fine. No idea when that will happen. No, nope. uh, certainly. <laughs> um, if if it does become if it does come to that stage, I'll be more than happy to talk about my experiences there. All right. Well, that'll be really good. I mean, I don't know if you're aware we had a director, Adam Rifkin, on that we talked to about the new project he's doing with Penn Gillette. And mm-hmm. that's going to be kind of cool. We we might get some more info from them as they carry on. So it'll be mm-hmm. it'll be really nice to also get someone else on a different film at you know mm. a year or two down the line, able to give us some more details and stuff. So all I can say, Dad, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. No problem. Thank you very much for for marketing me off to everyone. <laughs> oh well I, I would be remiss now if I didn't say that you can always go to Mark and that's with a C Hankins H A N K I N S dot com and I believe a fair amount of your UK. Starter, uh, does it not redirect from dot com? Mr. Um, com. I did used to have .com, um, but that's gone into despair, and now .co.uk is my primary. Oh, that's such a shit. You should get on that, I think. Uh, um, you know, it would be really easy for me to get it back. I'm just being a pain in the butt about it. <laughs> but yes, markhankins.co.uk. .co.uk. <laughs> yes, you might see some lovely photos there. Unfortunately, the end of the record cut off there, so I'm going to take this time to say thank you, Mark, for joining us. Thank you everyone else for listening and look forward to our Christmas podcast very soon. Bye.